Blog Talk Radio. Presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Oh! The English are too many. into this room at your own risk, because it leads to the future, not a future that will be, but one that might be. This is not a new world. It is simply an extension of what began in the old one. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. It has refinements, technological advances, and a more sophisticated approach the destruction of human freedom. But like every one of the super states that preceded it, it has one iron rule. Logic is an enemy and truth is a menace. In the councils of government, 
We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. It is a system which has constricted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silent, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. I appeared before the Congressional Committee to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. A part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. The consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government, which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN standard. I had planned another closing message, but I feel compelled to say what I'm about to say. Now, I risk sounding like a conspiracy theorist, but it's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. On the outskirts of the national capital today, black limousines with darkened windows converged on a hotel where private security guards imposed ironclad control. The limos carried royalty, political power brokers, and industrial titans to a secret meeting that will last all weekend. It's known as the Bilderberg Group. Could their objective be world domination? Money from our treasury is now being spent for this effort. We will have a new currency and a new constitution modeled on the Soviet Union's constitution. Our rights will not be inalienable, but they will be granted by government who can also take them away. This is terrorism of the most worst kind, brought on you by our own government. The strongest, freest nation in the history of mankind will be averaged into world communism. Now we can see a new world coming into view. 
A world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order. It is a big idea. A new world order. A new world is emerging. It is a new world order. The new world order is emerging. A new world order can be created. A new world order. The 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 new world order. A new world order. And the hope that each of us has to build a new world order. I think even that, even that does not describe why the world has changed so much and why the world has turned so much towards a new world order and a new kind of civilization. France intends to proceed together with all people of goodwill around the world. This battle to build a new world order of the 21st century. It's about the future of Europe and a new world order. A new world order. The new world order. New world order. A new international order. New global order. Is this some sort of a new world order, which, which Gordon Brown kind of alluded to? God is setting up a new world order, and his plan includes you. In an era of globalization, of political interdependence, where the world is ever more swiftly opening up, and the cliche about a global community becomes an economic, political, often social reality, in this new world, in this new world, British Prime Minister Brown today declared a new world order is emerging. We want to know what you think, so our poll question is, are you excited that a new world order is emerging, or are you concerned about America's sovereignty? What is this new world order all about? It is about a reversal of the American Revolution. American Revolution was a bunch of farm kids, and kids had got them working in blacksmith shops and working in other jobs, standing up to the greatest army on earth in places like Lexington and Concord and saying to the whole world that forever, no matter what happens, we Americans will decide here and decide for ourselves our own destiny. The new world order is the reversal, the overturning of that revolution. That's what the end goal is. America is a rich province, part of their new world order. But I give you my word, if ever I stand up on that east wing of the Capitol and take my oath as President of the United States, when my hand goes up, their new world order comes crashing down. In the near future, Earth is dominated by a powerful world government. Once free nations are slaves to the will of a tiny elite, the dawn of a new dark age is upon mankind. Countries are a thing of the past. Every form of independence is under attack, with the family and even the individual itself nearing extinction. Close to 80% of the Earth's population has been eliminated. The remnants of a once free humanity are forced to live within highly controlled, compact, prison-like cities. Travel is highly restricted. Superhighways connect the megacities and keep the population from entering into unauthorized zones. No human activity is private. AI supercomputers chronicle and categorize every action. A prison planet dominated by a ruthless gang of control freaks whose power can never be challenged. 
This is the vision of the global elite, their goal. A program of total dehumanization, where the science of tyranny is law. A worldwide control grid, designed to ensure the overlord's monopoly of power forever. Our species will be condemned to this nightmare future unless the masses are awakened to the New World Order master plan and mobilized to defeat it. Erected by a secretive group, the Georgia Giant Stones are a testament to the elite's plan for a world religion, global laws, with a global court and army to enforce it. And set in stone, it is written that the population never rise above 500 million. In this film, you will learn how our world is truly governed. You will see how highly secretive roundtable groups interlock to form a global intelligence network. This group has been steering planetary affairs for hundreds of years. Now in the final stage, they prepare for open world government. A goal tyrants throughout history have lusted us. been receiving tremendous play over the last half of the 20th century. Uh, George Bush, the first senior president, George Bush, used it a lot in his speeches and really implies that he really wants to see a order in which we have a universal or a global type of governance in which every human being on planet Earth is ultimately responsible for the policies that are being formulated at the international level. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's really always the same. You go back throughout all of history, the Roman Empire, the uh, Soviet Union, Hitler during the Nazism was always saying that it's going to create the utopia for the average person, when in fact, history always shows that it does exactly the opposite. Conquest and empire is as old as civilization. Babylon, Egypt and Greece. They all built empires in an attempt to rule the world. The Roman system at its peak dominated the known world. Complex governmental systems were developed to control diverse populations. During the period between the 15th and 19th century, new empires emerged and again waged war for supremacy. The nobility, as well as the thriving merchant class, were financed by a handful of private banks. Many of the great money houses would hedge their bets and finance both sides of a war. Sophisticated intelligence-gathering networks gave the financiers a clear edge over the governments they were slowly gaining control of. On the 18th of June, 1815, agents of the British arm of the Rothschild family looked on as Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte fought desperately to save his army from the jaws of a British-Prussian pincer attack. A Rothschild agent was able to get the news of Napoleon's defeat at the hands of Lord Wellington to Nathan Rothschild a full 20 hours before the news reached London. 
Nathan, the head of the British arm of the Rothschild family, put out the rumor to the London Stock Exchange that Napoleon had won the war. Stocks plunged by 98%, and Rothschild was then able to buy up the entire British economy for pennies on the pound. When the news of Napoleon's defeat finally arrived, stocks soared. Britain was now the undisputed ruler of Europe, and Rothschild ruled England. The already dominant British Empire grew even more aggressive. Her troops and bureaucracy spread across the globe. The sun never set on Britannia's holdings. The banking cartel funded, in fact, since about 1800, they have funded both sides of almost every war. And, of course, they're getting the interest off of the loans that they've given the various governments and the wars that they have actually helped stimulate and create. By 1900, Germany was a rising force and the leader of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, World War I, for instance, there was absolutely no reason to have World War I except that it was an ideal opportunity for the banking cartel to make a pile of money by funding both sides of that particular war. Armaments companies financed by Rothschild-controlled banks in Germany, France, England, and Austria bankrolled all the factions. At least 20 million were killed in the war. It was a conflict so terrible the people vowed to never fight again. They dubbed it the war to end all wars. question is, why did they want war? Well, first of all, is money and power. But secondly, they wanted to create the League of Nations. They had this in their plans all along, and as a consequence, once the war was over or about to be over, they began to formulate this idea of a League of Nations so this would never, ever happen again. Hundreds of years of practice made the British experts at hiding their empire behind puppet governments and councils. In the name of stopping all future conflicts, they proposed that countries would join a League of Nations. Their true intention was for the League to serve as a framework for world government. President Woodrow Wilson, who had spearheaded the establishment of the private Federal Reserve System in the United States in 1913, strongly supported the establishment of the League of Nations. Woodrow Wilson was a very naive president. He was basically a college professor that was grafted into this whole system. The League convened in Paris in 1919, but many nations recognized it as a threat to their sovereignty and refused to join. Frustrated by the U.S. Congress blocking the League of Nations, British intelligence, with the help of the Rockefeller family, set up the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City in 1921. The Council recruited the best and brightest of American life to support the growth of the Anglo-American Empire. The CFR's stated mission is to abolish all nation-states in favor of an all-powerful world government administered by a tiny elite. By 1930, the promoters of world government had split into two interlocking camps. The Fabian Socialists centered in London, 
and the fascist based in Italy and Germany. National Socialism will use its own revolution for establishing a new world order. Adolf Hitler. Supporters of the fascist in the United States and England believed that the military should be used to quickly transform the world into a new world order. All the more sophisticated practitioners of globalism stated that incrementalism was the sure path to world domination. Congressional Medal of Honor winner Major General Smedley Butler went public in 1934 exposing an attempt by the robber barons to launch a military overthrow of the United States. The war hero testified to the McCormick Dickstein Committee in Congress that some of the most powerful men in America had tried to recruit him to lead a military coup so they could set up National Socialism in the United States. I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men which would be able to take over the functions of government. The fascists had also made deep inroads in England. Edward VIII, King of England, was forced to advocate the throne because of his public support for Hitler. In the build-up to World War II and during the conflict, the bankers again financed both sides, just as they had done with Napoleon. Rise and fall the Third Reich, Europe lay in ruins. Once again, the elite claimed that only global governance could save humanity from certain destruction. And this time, the elite would succeed in setting up their world body. In April of 1945, at the Presidio Naval Base in San Francisco, the United Nations was founded by the victors of World War II. The United Nations complex was then built in New York City on land donated by John D. Rockefeller. Shortly after the elite established the United Nations as their base in the United States, the newly formed World Council quickly began work on the next phase in their plan, the incremental formation of continental superstates. The first step in their trilateral plan was the creation of the European Union. Unifying Europe had been tried many times and was extremely unpopular. Where Napoleon and Hitler had failed to accomplish their goals using force, the globalists would succeed using stealth. The British spearheaded the formation of the Council of Europe on May 5, 1949. The Treaty of London claimed to only establish trade ties between European nations, like NAFTA or GATT in North America. Its true intention was the formation of a European superstate. 
part of that plan, of course, is to induce the gradual surrender of American sovereignty, piece by piece and step by step, to various international organizations, of which the United Nations is the outstanding but far from the only example. Now, here are the aims for the United States. One, greatly expanded government spending for every conceivable means of getting rid of ever larger sums of American money as wastefully as possible. Two, higher and then much higher taxes. Three, an increasingly unbalanced budget despite the higher taxes. Four, wild inflation of our currency. Five, government controls of prices, wages, and materials supposedly to combat inflation. Six, greatly increased socialistic controls over every operation of our economy and every activity of our daily lives. This is to be accompanied naturally and automatically by a correspondingly huge increase in the size of our bureaucracy and in both the cost and reach of our domestic government. Seven, far more centralization of power in Washington and the practical elimination of our state lines. There is a many-faceted drive at work to have our state lines eventually mean no more within the nation than our county lines do now within the states. Eight, the steady advance of federal aid to and control over our educational system, leading to complete federalization of our public education. Nine, a constant hammering into the American consciousness of the horror of modern warfare, the beauties and the absolute necessity of peace, peace always on communist terms, of course. And ten, the consequent willingness of the American people to allow the steps of appeasement by our government which amount to a piecemeal surrender of the rest of the free world and of the United States itself. began as the American colonies sought to detach from England and its oppressive monarchy. Though many reasons are cited for the revolution, one in particular sticks out as the prime cause, that King George III of England outlawed the interest-free, independent currency the colonies were producing and using for themselves, in turn forcing them to borrow money from the Central Bank of England at interest, immediately putting the colonies into debt. And as Benjamin Franklin later wrote, the refusal of King George III to allow the colonies to operate an honest money system which freed the ordinary man from the clutches of the money manipulators was probably the prime cause of the revolution. In 1783, America won its independence from England. However, its battle against the central bank concept and the corrupt, greed-filled men associated with it had just begun. So what is a central bank? A central bank is an institution that produces the currency of an entire nation. Based on historical precedent, two specific powers are inherent in central banking practice. The control of interest rates and the control of the money supply or inflation. 
The central bank does not simply supply a government economy with money, it loans it to them at interest. Then, through the use of increasing and decreasing the supply of money, the central bank regulates the value of the currency being issued. It is critical to understand that the entire structure of this system can only produce one thing in the long run, debt. It doesn't take a lot of ingenuity to figure this scam out. For every single dollar produced by the central bank is loaned at interest. That means every single dollar produced is actually the dollar plus a certain percent of debt based on that dollar. And since the central bank has the monopoly of the production of the currency for the entire country, and they loan each dollar out with immediate debt attached to it, where does the money to pay for the debt come from? It can only come from the central bank again, which means the central bank has to perpetually increase its money supply to temporarily cover the outstanding debt created, which in turn, since that new money is loaned out at interest as well, creates even more debt. The end result of this system without fail is slavery, for it is impossible for the government and thus the public to ever come out of the self-generating debt. The founding fathers of this country were well aware of this. Podcasting here, understanding the times in which we live today. Uh, we were supposed to have a guest here tonight, and they'll come on. So, but uh, he can't make it. He said next Wednesday. Um, this individual uh, ran for governor in the state of Illinois. I guess got 109,000 votes. Um, he's uh, got himself jammed up now. I guess the system is out to get him. Uh, it should be an interesting story. I don't want to go into too much detail, but uh, try to get him on. For next Wednesday, that's what I'm shooting for. But you have to stay tuned. Uh, it should be an interesting uh, 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 interview with this individual. And I'm also trying to get the um, uh, people on from uh, Stand Up for America. Stand Up for America. Uh, I don't know why people are calling me on my cell phone right now. So I hope they're not the guest that I other guests I had planned. People just don't pay attention. We're in such a rush. You know, go here, go there. We're in such a damn rush, you know. And and the thing of it is, is they, they they don't pay attention to anything. I mean, just look at the zombies out there. I mean, look what's going on. I mean, it, it's insane. It's insane. This person here is from Texas calling me. Texas. You know what? Let's call back that number. Let's call him back. Yeah. Let's call him live on the show. Somebody just called me on my personal cell. Let's call them back. Let's see who this is. This is this was a call I just got while I was live on the air. Let's, let's, and this happens all day long, and it happens. I'm sure some of you too. Let's see what we got going on here. Let's see who this person is. We'll call him back from a different number. All right. There we go. Call him back. Thank you for calling. Please listen carefully, as your options may have changed. For That's auto insurance, press one. For homeowner's insurance, press 2. For home security systems, press 3. Again, for auto insurance, press 1. For homeowner's insurance, press 2. For home security systems, press 3. Hello? Yes? See? Hello? 
Now I got blank, 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 right? That that yeah, now now they just hang up on you. Now they just hang up on you. You know? Let me, let's do this a different way then. We'll do it from a different standpoint there. They want you to press one and two or three. Let's see here. Let's do it like this. There we go. We'll call them up live there. Coach Christian. This is what that now is now it ties me to another number. $7,000 in your pocket in the next 14 to 21 days. Look at that. You left the message saying you had interest in finding out more about our done. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I called from my show number and it gave me a different message. Now I call back from this number and Coach Christensen. A scam. A scam. Here we go. I'm actually returning your call right now. Yeah, you're returning my call. You, you know, yeah. This this is what's happening out there. This is what's happening. It's 903-354-2973. That's the phone number. You know, let's let's go after some of these bastards here tonight. Let's see who I'm going other bastards call me here. I go I can get in, get get into their Oh no, I got nothing to do here. Let's call them up. We'll call them up here. Why not? Call this number here. We'll call this one right here. I know this one was a telemarketer today that called me earlier. All right, let's see here. Yeah, we'll call this one up. We'll see what we got here. You jerks. No, this is what I'm saying. They just bother you. And they do it like, I mean, it's just, this has to, I mean, it's just robocalls. Robocalls, they just constantly call people. Let's see what this is. I'll call them all back. Let's call them all Thank back. Thank you for calling the business loan department. If you're interested in our unbeatable business loan products, please press 1 to speak with the loan agent. If you wish to be placed on the do not call list, please press 2 now. Now they'll just hang up. Thank you for calling the business loan department. If you are interested in our unbeatable business loan products, please press 1 to speak with the loan agent. If you wish to be placed on the do not call list, please press 2 now. Thank you for calling the business loan department. If you are interested in our unbeatable business loan products, please press 1 to speak with the loan agent. If you wish to be placed on the do not call list, please press 2 now. No, I'm not pressing nothing. I don't want to put you on hold. I'm just going to let it keep playing and playing. Goodbye. No, now it hangs up on you. See? See? Let's call him back. You know, this is, this is, this is what, this is what, that, that's, that's number two that I got today. You know, ridiculous, man. Just totally ridiculous. Just totally ridiculous, unreal. You know, it's just uncalled for. You know, I'm going to start writing them down. I'm going to start calling them during the show. That's what I'm going to do. You know, this is uh, here's another one here. Here's another one here. Right here. Business loan department. Unreal. Just, you know, it just... Total spam. All spam and nonsense. No? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, well, I don't know. Now who's messaging me on the social media? I, that's what I got to do. Heck, but doing the podcast, y'all. I just freaking just have to, just, just to sit here and listen to all the spam and all the nonsense. You know? Here we go. 
All right, let me play this one here for you guys here. And uh... As the guardians of the free republic, if you have the courage to reclaim the institutions of your government as a juror on the du jour grand juries, then I invite you to send us an email and mark in the subject line, wish to join, a dash, and then put in the name of the republic uh, in which, which you will be representing. If you would like to be a state or regional coordinator who will uh, uh, handle the final organization of the du jour grand juries, or you believe you can assemble a substantial number of people in furtherance of the goals that I've outlined here tonight, then please mark the subject line coordinator, add a dash, and put the name of public. And uh, finally, before I bring my fellow guardian elders to the program, I would like to address any other groups or assemblies or similar undertakings throughout the land. If you're engaged in assembling or a similar process, but you don't quite know the way to uh, the way to the finish line, I invite you to come over and join with us, as I think you will find that the Restore America plan is the last best hope to re-inhabit the republic now, not later, in the most logical way, with the least risk of conflict and. Um, unnecessary controversy. Now, mind you, even if the military were to fail to fulfill their offer to us, the mere act of assembling with true and proper authority on the land is a victory in and of itself, as we will then have the authority to engage the public pretenders on a playing field where they simply cannot stand, a field where they have no borrowed energy with which to commit further acts of evil, and where the facade of legitimacy has been fatally punctured. It's so thoroughly penetrated that many of them will shrink away from confrontation with the knowledge that the liabilities of attempting to subjugate the jure land-based authority by private, corporate, de facto actors is far too perilous to accept. You know, folks, lawyers, many lawyers are well aware that they have no authority on the land and certainly no standing to disobey the lawful orders of the sovereign people. Now, for those of you who doubt that when push comes to shove, the officers of the United States Federal Corporation, especially the higher levels of the judiciary, judiciary do not understand their limitations, I'm going to bring forth our first guest. He's never been on the program before. He is a member of what we're calling the Guardian Elders who authored this procedure and will be taking responsibility for it. But two years ago, I told you a story about this man, and then Larry Beecraft spent a year ridiculing that he didn't exist and that his story, if he did exist, was untrue. I told you a story, I think it was January two years ago, of a fellow who got placed on the ground and shackled, brought in on a Friday into a federal court. They said they'd hold him to Monday, and he told the marshals, if you do, I'll issue a warrant for your arrest. They asked him how, and he said, I'll issue the warrant, and I'll have uh, three county notaries sign off on it. So you'd better take me to the magistrate tonight. And they did. And the magistrate entered court and said, sir, what's your name? And he said, I am who I say I am. 
And he said, I asked you again, what's your name? And he said, well, I'm the guy who's holding a warrant for the arrest of, and he mentioned the name of a judge he had completed an administrative process on. Lo and behold, it was that judge whose face turned bright red and left the courtroom and never came back. And 20 minutes later, the marshals were joking, where'd he go? Well, I think he's in the back throwing up. This friend of mine signed an appearance bond because he didn't want his family to worry and he knew he could take care of it later, but he was a little tardy in taking care of it. And so they sent the 12-member SWAT team. They hauled him in. And I am proud to be introducing to you a man who stood there by himself while the so-called judge told him he had maybe 20 other charges in a sealed indictment he was going to spend many years in prison. And when he asked my friend his name, my friend said, by what authority do you come before me? That legendary line that most of you know. And within the course of the next 24 hours, he arrested two of the judges who ran from that courtroom with red faces. He stood up as a member of the sovereign people, as a living man who would not convey his energy to them to convene their dirty business. And when the chief judge said to him, uh, what are you going to do? Or rather, the second judge said to him, what are you going to do with the problem you have? He said to the judge, I need to correct you. I don't have a problem. You do. But I tell you what, I understand there's a lien for $135 million against this place, so I'll have three county notaries sign off on it. We'll mail it to the provost marshal, and we'll hold a bleeping yard sale around there. He said that in open court, and the judge ran. And before the end of the second day, the final judge, the chief judge, ran from the room, then stuck his head back in and said, oh, I forgot. Case dismissed, all charges dismissed. And they brought my friend into a holding room. And then they brought 10 U.S. Marshals. By the way, you understand there is no such office. 10 U.S. de facto agents, one by one, to apologize to him, unprecedented. And then they brought him into chambers, and the three judges were there, and they said, if you get any more paper from this building, please do not send it back to us. Just call us and we'll take care of it. And so I bring you tonight a man who knows who he is. That's the kind of people you will be guided by in this process. And I'm proud to welcome to the program Regan Duane. Regan, thanks for joining us, especially when you have the flu. Yes, I'm, I'm a little bit under the weather. All right, well, thank you, Regan. And you don't even sound like you, but uh, <laughs> be patient for one minute because I'd like to bring our other guests in. Sure. Secondly, uh, this second guest is someone that our regular listeners know very well. What can I say about him that won't embarrass him to no end? Because he is a humble man and a scripturally uh, honest broker in every sense of the word. If you need advice and if something is right and wrong, this is the man you go to. He grew up on the south side of Chicago, and you would not want to go up against him in a dark or, for that matter, a light alley. And he has looked them in the face 60 or 70 times and told them to get lost. He does not carry state ID. He drives around, as both of these fellows do, in their own vehicles, without plates, without placards. He's a man of enormous knowledge and dedication and absolutely 
has refused for years to take any compensation for the assistance that he has provided to people. He has put himself on the line more than anyone I know. He has a command of the issues better than anyone I know. And he is in the front line of uh, many of the things that we do. You've heard him before. You've listened to him because he's worth listening to. My pleasure to bring to the program Thomas Bradford Schultz. Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you, Sam. Good to be here. <clears throat> now, I don't know if our third guest, the third member of the Guardian Elders is with us or not. Uh, because he was supposed to call me earlier, but he was involved in the seminar. And the phones are tied up from what I've heard from the producer in my ear. We're okay, so uh, we do have an open line. Tim, if you're out there trying to get in, call in now, please. Uh, this fellow is well known to most of you because he has toured the country selflessly to bring you freedom, his freedom documents and his freedom methods. He's charged minimally for that sharing of information. He has uh, a wealth of people who look to him for counsel and advice. He's a wonderful guy, another scriptural devotee. He has engaged them in their own forums. He is a former employee of FEMA in Florida. I believe he was second in command in the state, so he knows the system from the inside. All right, here we go. Call, callers dropped, huh? Callers dropped. Well, yeah, well, you know, uh, you guys got, you know, I didn't know you guys were on here, but uh, that's fine. Um, it happens. Um, but anyway, uh, let's see here. What else have we got here? We got one more here up for you. Like I said, that's why I'm going to guest cancel, you know, but I'm not going to cancel the show because of that. So uh, it is what it is. Uh, what do we got here? Equipping for the new militia intel. Here's the key. We've said this many times. Remember, we've been pointing out the 510 program for how long? Now, the 510 program, what is it? The ability to outfit from head to toe, top to bottom, if at all possible, five or ten individuals. That's either a five-man fire team or a ten-man squad. Now, why? Those are the basic go-to blocks for any army, any platoon, company, battalion, whatever. Five men outfitted top to bottom with you know, everything from you know clean underpants to uh, new clothing or used clothing that's in good shape, uh, socks, toothbrushes, everything top to bottom to recondition the person, to re recycle the person, to refresh them, or to outfit them for the first time. Now, you decide the program as far as what all you can afford. This includes the idea that you would have five weapons available. A lot of people are looking at, you know, have looked at and could have purchased five AKs when they were a lot cheaper. Example, back when you bought the Segas for under $200 a piece, you could buy five Segas for the price of one AK right now. If you bought a, a middle-end AK for about $1,000, you're buying one of the more progressive, you know, the, the newer AKs with all the bells and whistles, you could have bought five, five, five Segas, $185 to $195 a piece, and 762 by 39 or 223 Well, people did that. Some of them bought them when they were under $200 in with the shotguns. The people did that. That's good enough. In fact, those are very fine weapons. They may have bought five Nagat rifles, five pump shotguns, whatever they've got. They've got the ability to outfit top to bottom, and to a degree, combat equip the individuals top to bottom. That's part of a deep 
tactical, logistic deployment across the country. And the more we do and the more we build, the better off we'll be. You want to get this thing over with faster or in, and reduce the time, we need a deep logistic train in place, and it needs to be diversified. So it's not all one place. We have it spread all over creation. You can't stop us from being able to fight and to be able to fight effectively. But we're going to have to think ahead. All right, that's your report on that. Okay, let's go up here. I think I got one more. I think I got one more here for you. Oops, sorry. Live in tow. All right, here we go. Um, let's see here. I'll the storm. Here we go.
up your business, now's the time to take your side hustle online. Hey, girl, shithead! You can kiss my ass! <laughs> God damn it, Billy! You got President Hayes down here! They won't come out! We'll see how they like that one. <laughs> Minimum 
several covers. We then move forward to the magazine pouches. In this case, these are the magazine pouches that were originally used with the 20-round magazines for the M16 rifle. Very desirable if they can be found for use with the M1 Durand, uh, the SKS carbine stripper clips, and a variety of other short magazines that are available and on the market right now. These have a simple plastic hoser, a squeeze type.
But out of that failure, Hitler devised a new strategy for the Nazis. To pretend to be a legitimate political party and destroy democracy from within. For years, though, they were seen as the lunatic fringe. Until now. In 1930, the Nazis have 18% of the vote. And that captures the interest of this man. Germany's ultimate political operative, a right-wing, aristocratic general, Kurt von Schleicher. It has been noted by many people that Schleicher, Schleichen in German, means to sneak, to creep. So in English, he would be the creeper or the sneaker, which strangely is a very accurate denomination for what he did and for what he was. If you see politics as a game, as Schleicher did, he is a master in the play of power. Uh, an exercise 
amongst other things, in command. Politics are somewhat different, particularly in a democracy. If we look at politics as a game, as Schleicher does, Hindenburg simply is what in chess would be the king. Everything comes down to who is close to Hindenburg. Who is close to the king is close to power. So Schleicher was one of the closest person, if not the closest person, to the president. So Schleicher persuades the president to take a meeting with Adolf Hitler. Neither of them have any idea who they're dealing with. his niece, Geli Raubel, who it's rumored he was having sex with. distinction. He was rather dismissive 
of called this Austrian corporal. The other thing that's gone pretty well, really, he comes away from it thinking that Hindenburg now knows who he is, for one thing, and that in due course Hindenburg would be prepared under some circumstances to appoint him as Reich Chancellor. Hindenburg concludes Hitler is best suited for the office of postmaster, quote, so that he can lick me from behind on my stamps, unquote. So it wasn't a very deep impression that Hitler made. This is not how things are, an upstart. So Schleicher thinks if plan A goes wrong, you should have a plan B. the leader of the Nazi's political party. They also have the paramilitary wings, called the stormtroopers. These disenfranchised men are used to dish out violence on the streets to their enemies. But in a way that the Nazi party can deny involvement. All part of Hitler's secret agenda to wage war against the Nazi's political rivals. In this, too, Schleicher sees an opportunity. Maybe he can persuade Hindenburg to work with the Nazis as a way of harnessing these stormtroopers. For Schleicher, the stormtroopers are precious elements because the left-wing insurgency probably has to be broken with force. And these people represent this force. The German army is weak and depleted, an issue that the old man cares about. Maybe they could use the stormtroopers to bolster the ranks. Schleicher definitely knows which buttons to press with Hindenburg. Hindenburg regards it as his duty as president to see Germany back as a, as a great power. So Schleicher is saying to Hindenburg, the Nazis with the stormtroopers represent a fresh start. I mean, as a soldier, that would have um, resounded with him, without that, in my view. With the president on board, he now needs to persuade Hitler to join his right-wing coalition government as the junior partner. Election. 
in which he hopes to do even better. So Schleicher offers another deal. He'll bring elections forward on condition Hitler doesn't vote down his right-wing coalition. In this moment, he perceives them as a servant, someone who was going to play a supporting role. So in the system which would be run by aristocrats like himself, whatever thinks Hitler's extracted as a condition of support of the Nazis, that elections should be held, Schleicher imagined he was manipulating Hitler, whereas in fact, it's the other way around. So while Schleicher plots his next chancellor, Hitler sets about winning the hearts and minds of the German people.
enters the court, the stormtroopers who are on trial stand up in the dock and raise their hands in the Hitler salute. And they show their dedication to their leader. Hitler is absolutely in control. Hitler went there prepared to say something very well rehearsed and says that he had no knowledge at all of what the stormtroopers would do. This was a rogue group. And Lytton slowly but surely starts to unpick that. Hitler is cross-examined for three hours. Who are the stormtroopers? What is expected of Tell me the truth. As Hitler continues to deny stormtrooper violence his official Nazi policy, Lytton produces a pamphlet. It's a quick guide to Nazi ideology for new stormtrooper recruits. In it, there's a line that says if the Nazis can't come to power by democratic means, plays his trump card and he presents it to Hitler. Look at this. You're telling us you're you're a Democrat, that you're running a Democratic Party? Look what your pamphlets say. It must have been so exhilarating. You know, there's nothing more satisfying than a good cross-examination if you're a lawyer. And then he gets angry from this position of calm leadership. He becomes the rather frothing man that we know he was capable of being. By keeping at it, slowly and patiently, he wore down the veneer. You just know that someone has been reduced in size. And I think Hitler was. Hans Litton is exactly the sort of man who Hitler rather despised. A Jewish lawyer, clever man, an intellectual. They were traitors, vermin. They were less than nothing. And so it was a great victory for Litton. But by God, had he made an enemy in the Fuhrer. Back in the halls of power, Schleicher goes to work to bring down the Chancellor. Schleicher's political game operates on different levels at once. He conspires with the military elite. He uses his influence with media and big business. Spreads gossip to weaken the Chancellor's standing in political circles. Telling everyone the Chancellor has failed to get Germany out of its political and economic mess. And all the while, he continues to work on Hindenburg. The only man who can fire a chancellor. 
Convincing him that to keep the current Chancellor in power is bad for his reputation. Schleicher knows about how much Hindenburg likes his own uh, reputation. This is another button that he can push. The Chancellor is a failure. Too much under the spell of the socialist. He should go. Well, I think the evidence is clear. The Chancellor cannot go on. It could be very important for the future stability of Germany. This is Schleicher at his best. These are ways to rule a country which are based on conspiracy, intrigue. This is not what a republic is meant to be. And so within weeks of his deal with Hitler, Schleicher has persuaded the president to fire the chancellor and accept Schleicher's choice for a new chancellor. What sort of person is Franz von Papen? Well, he claims he's completely surprised that anyone should imagine him becoming Chancellor of the Reich. But on the other hand, I find that quite hard to believe that he hasn't imagined himself in that position. You get the impression of a little bit of a popinjay. He's always terribly well-dressed and outwardly very charming. Although he has the reputation of someone with a degree of incompetence. Schleicher at this point is looking for a man who would basically do what he tells him to do. Someone that he could manipulate. The idea that Papen is a sort of useful idiot for other people around him is clearly nonsense. Kurt von Schleicher thought he could exploit him. Of course, the reality is that he is, for want of a better word, prone to subterfuge. He is cunning. And because they need the Nazis' support, they turn a blind eye to the stormtroopers' violence. I certainly don't get the impression that Parkin is particularly moved by what's happening on the streets. You know, he is a man who does not see the morality of his position. For Papen, the Nazis are the ticket to power. So Schleicher finalizes what he wants. A right-wing government, a malleable chancellor, and his political opponents on the run. The destiny of Germany is in his hands. He feels this is going well. I think he, he feels this is successful. And where he goes wrong, Schleicher, is to not see that the Nazis, and particularly Hitler, were playing their own game and were not going to accept 
the rule set out by General Schleicher. All the key players cast their vote. Hitler, von Papen, and President Hindenburg.